0: I wanted to take a break from our series, um, the image of God, to reflect a little bit more personally um, on the past 10 years as a church, and reflect on God's faithfulness to us. And uh, our scripture this morning uh, comes from Psalm 89, and these—it's a very long psalm, but I've just accept, excerpted a couple different sections, and I'll probably refer to some others, but. Um, hear God's word to us uh, from Psalm 89, which is uh, a psalm of Ethan the Ezrahite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever, and in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. I have found David my servant with my holy oil and I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him and my arm shall also strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, and his right hand on the rivers, and he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law, and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the words that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David his offspring shall endure forever. there his throne, as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. a faithful witness in the skies. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Lord, um, we thank you for your faithfulness, which is like the moon. It is always there. It is immovable. We thank you for your faithfulness to our church over the past 10 years. I thank you for the opportunity and the honor to, to serve as the pastor of this church. We pray that as we reflect on your word and we reflect on our history in the light of your word, that we would see you clearly in the middle of our congregation and our history, and that we continue to see you into the future. So meet us this morning in your word and encourage us and then challenge us We pray in Christ's name, amen. Ethan the psalmist sings, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever and the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. This is a, a long and meandering psalm Um, but it is unified by this theme of of faithfulness. Um, The theme faithfulness comes up again and again through the psalm. Um, Faithfulness and and steadfast love um, of God towards his people, Israel. Uh, And with this psalm as the backdrop, I wanted to take some time this morning to reflect on God's faithfulness to us as a church over the past 10 years, and so my goal is is to help us discern uh, the presence of God with us and our brief history and to, to again, to reflect on what that might look like in the next 10 years. Um, Now, 10 years is not very long for a church in the grand scheme of things, but for church plants, it is. (laughs) Um, And I think it's an important milestone for us to recognize 10 years. There's nothing magical about it. Um, But I wanna share a little bit of the story and the history of City Reform Church. Uh, In 2012, uh, of February of 2012 we launched our first public worship service at Summerfield United Methodist Church which is right up the street here we started at 5 p.m. Um, and at this time there were probably about 15 to 20 uh, people not including children there were, a lot of the children that are here now weren't around back then um, uh, There was 15 or 20 of us and we were all most of us were members at Brookfield Christian Reformed Church and we had been talking and praying for almost two years prior to this point about planning a church, a reformed church in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, And in part because we desired to see a healthy reformed church in in more of the city center of Milwaukee that was able to address and and understand the, the unique ministry needs and context of the city. And so we began in 2012 worshiping and we were only able to stay at Summerfield uh, for a couple, for a little less, I don't remember how long at this point. It was less than a year, and we were forced to move to Bruce City Church. Um, and we ended up worshiping there as well uh, at 5 p.m. in the evenings for a little bit under two years. Um, it's very hard to start a church um, in the evenings in Milwaukee or Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Especially during Packer season, (laughs) 3:30 games just devastated attendance. It was very, and I, kind of, I, I sort of carry a a bit of. um, It's hard. I'm not like, I just can't be a full-blown Packer fan because of what I went through for three years. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a reluctant Packer fan. Um, But it's very hard to establish, uh, to grow in the evening um, in a city like Milwaukee. Uh, it's also hard to just establish your own sense of identity when you don't have your own space and you feel like you're moving around. And during those, those first, uh, really, three years as a church, um, our growth was, was really small. I mean, we barely doubled in size um, from when we started over the course of three years. And um, it was a challenge. And yet, um, even though we weren't growing you know, numerically in large Ways we were growing in other ways. We were growing deep in our sense of community and mission and a sense of togetherness. I like to use the example of like when you, you put a tomato plant in the ground in, in you know middle of May. That tomato plant will it doesn't looks like the same for about a month. There's very little growth above the ground, but below the ground, it's sinking its roots deep. It's growing deep in order to sustain uh, the fruit that it will later bear. And I think that's what the Lord was doing in our church during those first three years, especially when it was really challenging um, from week to week. Nevertheless, our community was strong and it was growing and thriving. And I think our DNA and our, our ethos as a community was really locked in during that season. The Lord opened the door for us to find our own place here in 2014 and we were able to move into this space um, during that time. You know, I would say as the pastor of this church for the first four years, um, I always had a sense that this the might not work, <laughs> this might fail. Uh, it was just something I always lived with, uh, a certain kind of low grade, sometimes higher grade anxiety about the church and it really wasn't until a year after we were worshiping in here where I it seemed clear, it was like, you know what? This actually might work. This church might survive. It might have a future beyond, um, beyond what just these immediate here. That's just my own reflection. That's necessarily a, a, perhaps a sign of my faithlessness or lack of faith, but it was just the reality that I experienced. But in 2015, really, we began. Uh, we were able to organize as a church, which means we are able to call our own deacons and elders. We are also financially able to sustain ourselves on our own without outside funding. And it was after this period when we moved in here, we, we actually began to grow as a church um, a little bit more in terms of members and people who are coming and getting connected. In 2017, um, we as a church uh, called a another pastor uh, pastor phil Andaris, for 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 mission and between 2017 and 2019 our church experienced pretty dramatic growth by by our standards (laughs) Uh, to the point where um, at the end of 2019 um, you know many of you remember who were here sometimes it was hard to find a place to sit in 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 the auditorium we were running out of space with children and um, it was a very exciting time, I think. Uh, and we began to have conversations. Well, what do we need to do? Do we need to have an extra service? Do we need to look for another space? Um, <clears throat> oops, excuse me. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> uh, during the latter half of 2019, um, personal conflict, developed within our body that deeply impacted um, our church and our church leadership. And all of this conflict came to a head at the very beginning of 2020. And you remember what happened at the very beginning of 2020? We have a global pandemic that hits. So right as uh, the inner conflict was building and sort of coming out, uh, COVID hits us. Um, and it made it very difficult for us to kind of work through our issues because we weren't able to meet in person. And you remember that the church, along with most of America, uh, we went into lockdown from March through June, in which we were not meeting in person. Worshiping in person, we were streaming um, online. Um, And also during this time, you'll remember in May, uh, the killing of George Floyd and, and a sort of a nationwide and even global-wide protests um, related to uh, racial injustice and kind of overcame us. And then we're also in the midst of a bitterly fought uh, ele- presidential election season. And then it didn't take too long into COVID be- before we began to, to be uh, deeply divided about how to even think about COVID and lockdowns and masks. And the atmosphere <laughs> that surrounded us as a church was toxic um, and all that toxicity and, and conflict uh, just exacerbated and made it all the more difficult as we tried to address our own personal issues. It was like a perfect storm of events that all converged in about of a six month period and it took an enormous toll on me And in our congregation. And one of the outcomes of that was that Pastor Phil um, ended his service at our church at the end of summer 2020. And um, many people departed our church in the course of a year. Many people departed. Now, not all those departures were painful and because of the conflict, many of them were just people moving away. Just happened to be that there was a lot of people that were were moving away and had changes in their life right at the same time as all this was happening. To fail, um, well... Needless to say, the last two years of the life of our church have been very turbulent and challenging, and it feels, to me at least, like a recently finished chapter. And to fail to mention it, uh, as we think about 10 years as a church, seems really disingenuous to me. Um, we, are, um, we are a much smaller church than we were in 2019, and we're thank- in my mind, I'm like really thankful we're not having to have conversations about another building or, or second service or something like that. We are a much smaller congregation, but we're not an unhealthy congregation. We're not a failed church, and we're not a failing church. God has continued to be faithful to us through the turmoil and through the difficulty. And even though we are a smaller body than we were, I believe that we are actually a healthier body than we were at the end of 2019. Now, you might be wondering, why is he sharing all this uh, difficulty that the church has been through, right? This is a 10-year anniversary celebration. Shouldn't you be focusing on the positive? And indeed, uh, we have so much to celebrate, and I hope we do some of that more, um, and just thankful remembering of our church. Um, I am incredibly thankful to be the pastor of this church and this body, and I'm very committed to continuing to be the pastor of this church, and I'm very hopeful about our future as a church. It is incredible what God has done um, through our church and continues to do. Nevertheless, as I reflect on the past 10 years, um, it's It's something, as I think about our history, it's something I can only recall and remember with a mixture of joy, amazement, and sorrow. (laughs) Joy at what God has done, that we're here still, that he's touched many lives and continues to work. Amazement, honestly, that we've gotten through some of the difficulties we have. But also a sense of deep sorrow. A sense of sorrow at... um, the mistakes we have made as a church, sorrow at the mistakes I have made as a pastor, um, sorrow that, that there's many people that I do not see here today that I wish I did see <laughs> that contributed greatly to the building up and the founding of this church, who devoted and put a lot of their life and and parted painfully. Um, Yeah, it's hard for me. I've had a lot of mixed emotions as I've come to this service and see who's here and who's not here. Um, I I can't really bracket that out of this remembrance. And I can't bracket out our sinfulness as a church as I tell the story and remember it. And I don't think God would have us to do it as well. See, one of the things in the Bible that you don't find anywhere is whitewash history. You will not find a whitewash history in the Bible. All the stories of figures like Noah and Abraham and Moses, David and Peter and Mary and Paul, all of those histories show the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of ugly. And that's the same when the scriptures tell the story of the whole people of Israel, and the scriptures tell the story of the whole church. It never leaves out the bad. It doesn't sugarcoat it, it doesn't avoid it, and just focus on the triumphs and the victories. It looks at the setbacks, the failures, the sinfulness, and the faithlessness. And it's for a very important reason. And the reason is to remind us that we are not the heroes of our own story. We are not the heroes of our own story. See, if we are just recounting all the good things that this church has done, our successes and accomplishments, our growth, or it's easy for us without realizing it to become the hero of our own story. Yes, God was with us. It was God's grace, it was all through God, but as we focus on our obedience and our faithfulness, our hard work and devotion, our courage, what ends up being the focus of our celebration is ourselves. And it's too easy for us to pat ourselves on the back. But when we see the story fully, when we remember all the good, but all the failures, as part of our history, that cannot be revised out, we appreciate that we are not the heroes of our own story. Only God is. Amen, right? As we celebrate 10 years, we shouldn't be too self-congratulatory. But remember God's faithfulness to us. The reality is this, friends. We we almost did not make it (laughs) at multiple points. And very recently, we almost did not make it. And yet the Lord has delivered us. The Lord has delivered us from our troubles. And in telling the story of who we are and where we have been, we must remember that there are no heroes among us. Now, to say that isn't to recognize that there have been many faithful among us. <laughs> that many have, have devoted their lives and given much time and suffered a lot for this body. And we ought to be thankful for that. Thankful to one another. But none of us are heroes. There's no uh, one family or group of families that we can look to as heroes for the congregation. There's, you can't look to me <laughs> You can't look to anybody. We can only look to the Lord. The reason that CRC still exists is because of, not because of our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. It's so important. It's not because of our faithfulness that we are still here at 10 years. It is because of God's faithfulness. And again, this is what the psalmist tries to to turn us to. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Okay, but seeing God's faithfulness to us while recognizing and admitting our own uh, sinfulness, our own mistakes as a congregation, our own faithlessness, what is the basis on which to understand God's continued faithfulness to us? I think this is a very important question to consider. How is it possible for God to continue to be faithful to us even when we fail as a church? Even when we're faithless as a church? And here I don't speak just of our our own congregation locally, but here I I want you to think of the church at large. I mean, the church is failing all over the place. (laughs) All over the place. There's lots of, there's a lot of sin There's a lot of ways that we have failed to be who God called us to be, and it's very easy, I think, for us to become disenchanted with the church, to be disillusioned and despairing about the church. You know, the whole history of the church, and one way to tell that story is just a a history of failure after failure. It's not like there's one time or age in the church where everything was just like working well and everybody did what they were supposed to do. Every single age of the church has always been one that's been filled with disobedience and faithlessness. And yet God has never given up on the church. He's never, he never gave up on Israel, and he has never given up on the church. And so how do we understand that? How can this be? And here's where I, I, this is the reason I chose this psalm. Because I think it helps us understand where God's faithfulness is grounded. What does it even mean to say that God is faithful? As as an attribute of God, faithfulness applied to Him really just means that He's true. He's true to Himself, He's true to His promises. Uh, God is not flaky. God will not just sort of all of a sudden decide, eh, I'm not sure I really want to stick with this. I've changed my mind. God is not hot and cold. He is faithful. He is true to himself. For God to be faithful, the way it gets expressed in a really concrete way is through covenant. That God is a covenant-making God. Um, What is a covenant? A covenant is is a ceremony that is binding legally, wherein two parties make promises and vows and keep them. That's what a covenant is, and there's all kinds of different covenants, and the history of God can be told as a history of different covenants. And the psalmist here uh, has, uh, evokes the covenant that God makes with David. Uh, he says, have you, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your offspring forever, and build your throne for all generations. Now, at this point, it's helpful to know that King David has been dead, perhaps, for generations already. And yet, God made a special covenant with King David that is a forever covenant. And it's helpful here to understand that there's a couple different covenants that we might think about. The covenant here that the the psalmist has in mind is is an unconditional covenant. Um, In our sacred reading, we had um, a covenant, right? A description of God's relationship with the people. It is a conditional covenant. That was the covenant that God makes with the people of Israel through Moses, and the terms of the covenant are this. If you obey my law, I will be with you, and I will bless you. If you disobey my law, I will not be with you and I will punish you. I mean, that's the essence of the Mosaic Covenant. But the covenant that we have here with David is an unconditional covenant, right? A conditional covenant means that there's two parties involved with making vows and promise, but if one party breaks the terms of the covenant, then the covenant is null and void. But there's a different covenant that God makes with David. This covenant is unconditional. It is unilateral, and it is forever. And I I wanna draw your attention back to the psalm and read um, a number of verses. My steadfast love, this is beginning in halfway through verse 28. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. That is David, or his line, forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him, and I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. And if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my statutes or my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn to my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the sky. See, God makes a covenant with his people through his servant David. And it is an eternal covenant, it is an unconditional covenant, And even though the people fail to keep God's commands and act faithlessly, God remains faithful. He remains faithful even when they are faithless. Why? Because he has made a covenant with his servant David. Now again, God is clear. He doesn't, um, when we break that covenant, when the people of God break that covenant, he will discipline and he will punish, but he will not forsake them he will not remove his steadfast love. Now what's again interesting about the covenant that God makes with David is this, is that it is a covenant in which all the blessings and all the benefits are for all the people who are David's offspring. But it is a covenant with the figure of David, not with all the offspring, right? The basis of the covenant the legally binding aspect of the covenant is grounded in that unique relationship that God has with David. And you remember what it said of David in the Old Testament, he was one after God's own heart. The guarantee of the covenant for the whole nation is guaranteed by God's faithfulness and his unending love for his servant, David. Even when the nation acts badly and recklessly as it does, God remains true, he remains faithful. That's basically what the psalmist is recalling here. Now we know the actual history of David, right? And so you're probably scratching your head wondering, okay, here's a man who was an adulterer, who was vain at times, and who actually arranged to have a man murdered. But God's covenant with David was really never about David the man. It was actually about the one who would come through David, one of his offspring. The covenant with David anticipates another figure that will come along, one of his descendants, the future king, the Messiah. The one in whom all God's promises will find their fulfillment. And we know this as the person of Jesus Christ. This is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that points us to Christ. The psalm is fulfilled in the person and life of Jesus. God makes a covenant forever with David, and he is a deeply flawed man, and we are deeply flawed, but Jesus is not, right? He would be the perfect righteous son. He would be the beloved, the one whose heart was always after God and it never wavered. And it would be on the basis of this relationship between Jesus as the one in the line of David and the father that is the basis by which God remains faithful to his church and to his people. So what does this mean for how we think about the church? How we think about ourselves as City Reformed Church? Friends, the basis of God's continued faithfulness to us is ultimately not grounded in our faithfulness and our obedience. If this were the case, we uh, would have been doomed uh, many years ago. And to be clear, to say this is not to say that we have a free pass, that we can act however we want and do whatever we want, no. I mean, God will judge, right? God will discipline his church. And yet, what he will not do is he will not remove his love from us. He will not. The church cannot fail. (laughs) The church, friends, the church cannot fail. But it's not because we won't fail or don't fail. It cannot fail because Jesus cannot fail. (laughs) We are the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. And this way of speaking about the church isn't just a metaphor, but what it, what it points us to is this relationship that we have with Christ. We're the body, he is the head. There is this vital, organic, mysterious connection between us here on earth and the Lord who is in heaven. So what happens in the body of the church happens in the person of Jesus. And so the things that we suffer, the things that we do, the Lord in his very life experiences it as well. He could no more cast off his body than he can cast off himself. The Lord, as Paul says, if we're a faithless, he remains faithful, why? Because he cannot reject himself. He cannot reject himself. The reason why the church still exists, our church and many other churches, is because God cannot reject himself. So what should we do as we look to the next 10 years as a church? As we contemplate our future, what should we be thinking? What should we be doing? And the first is this, is we need to look away from ourselves. We, We need to look away from ourselves We need to look away from our talents, from our budgets, from our giftedness. We need to look away from me as the pastor. We need to look away from faithful families or looking at certain families, one group of people, from looking away from those who are here from the beginning and who are still here. We need to look away from all of the things that are happening in the world and to the church, that are concerning and threatening. We need to look away from these things. (laughs) And what we need to do is we need to look to Jesus. We need to look up. We need to look up. We need to look into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he cannot be moved, which means that we cannot be moved. See, the future of the church depends not upon our faithfulness. It depends on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And when we look away from ourselves as a church and away from all the the world's concerns and we look to him and we look upwards, we get our bearings and we find our vision, as we we sung earlier, our vision of what it means to be the church. I want to close just with some verses that that are part of this psalm that I did not include. As the psalmist sings, his righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Love and faithfulness go before him. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim him, who walk in the light of his presence. They rejoice in his name all the day long. They celebrate his righteousness, for he is their glory and strength. And by his favor, they are exalted. Amen. Father, it is with great joy and thankfulness that we gather on this morning together. And it is also with a sense perhaps of sadness and sorrow that we gather, knowing um, the long history of our church, many who are not here. And yet, Lord, again, we this is not um, defeat us or cause us to despair, but humbles us. And so we are humbled this morning, humbled by uh, your faithfulness and your greatness, humbled by our own inadequacy and weakness as a church. But Lord, we are also confident and hopeful of the future because you are our head and you are faithful. So Lord, we pray for the next 10 years. We pray for the immediate time ahead that we might be your church and we would faithfully look to you and know that you indeed are with us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.